1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Join Justin Townsend and the Harvesting Nature crew as they explore the world of cooking wild fish and game while sharing recipes, tips, tricks, and lessons learned from their pursuit of wild food. We sure hope you ate before the show, because you're going to leave hungry. This is the Wild Fish and Game Podcast. You shouldn't have invited me if you want <laughs> want this to be a serious no, conversation. No, we don't want it to be oh, serious. If it's serious, it's going to be boring. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> so how do we go? Is I'm going to start. <laughs> okay. Does that red light mean it's on? Yeah, the red light means we're recording. Okay. Yeah, I think this uh, should be included in the podcast. Yeah. I think this is this the is, funny this stuff. Is this is good stuff right here. This is what people want to hear. Hey, Corey, thanks for having Jeremy and I. Uh, <laughs> Hello, everybody. This is Corey with Harvesting Nature. Uh, we have a special edition tonight. Uh, we are recording on location, aka my kitchen, with my friends, two of which I uh, hunt a lot with. One of which just showed up. <laughs> just showed up today. <laughs> so, uh, tonight we have Jeremy. Tony and Tyler, myself. Um, if you guys want to introduce yourselves, yeah, go ahead, Tony. Yeah, <laughs> warm hey, us up, Tony. This is uh, Tony. I'm here to talk about muzzleloaders tonight. So we've been uh, what has it been about three or four years? We've been getting together to hunt late season muzzleloader in PA, and uh, I think this of... was the fourth year, wasn't it? Yeah, I think 2017 was the first year that I went. Yeah, so we've had a lot of fun and uh, just. Here to talk about our experiences and uh, hopefully shed some light on what uh, late season muzzleloader is like in Pennsylvania. I'm Jeremy. Um, I got two kids at home, uh, Grant and Elodie. Grant's seven, Elodie's five. I'm a teacher. Uh, I teach for the Warren County School District. I teach middle school science. 
Um, I'd say right now my passions are uh, trying to kill big bucks in the A&F and... A&F being Allegheny, Allegheny National, National Forest. Forest. And uh, I'd like to dabble in a lot of other outdoor activities too. Tyler? Uh, yeah, my name's Tyler. I uh, I don't go hunting with these guys. I usually make an excuse over here not to go. Yeah, Although yeah I one of these say, years you're going to go. You didn't invite me this year. <laughs> we invited you to get a hunting license this yeah. year. Yeah, but you, we, we tried to twist something. your arm. Yeah, but, I thought yeah. you were going to do something with us. Yeah. Yeah, well, that was a fiasco. <laughs> so anyways, I'm here to, to learn about muzzle loading. Hey, there we're always looking for new recruits, too. So yeah. if any yeah. of these listeners out here in uh, northwest Pennsylvania, yeah, reach out to Corey. You know where to find me. we got some thick thick patches. We'll put you in. <laughs> <laughs> Just go over there and push that out for us. We'll sit over here. So uh, we're going to talk about Pennsylvania's flintlock season. Right? Yep. So it just ended Monday. So started the day after Christmas and went until, what was that, January 16th? 18th. Was, 18th was 18th. the last day. 16th must have been the last Saturday. Saturday yeah. Uh, Pennsylvania is the only state that has a flintlock only season. I Are we doing, the only ones now? We're, I was doing some research. West Virginia has what they call a mountaineer heritage season. Um, it's flintlock. And cap lock, which is a little bit different than flintlock. And then they also have recurves or longbows. So you can't use a compound bow. You have to use recurve longbow, flintlock, or cap lock. Okay. Yeah, we just looked it up when we got here, and it's only a four-day season as well. So And it's, they have only had it since, like, 2018. So it Their whole muzzleloader season is only four days? That. Or that. That heritage oh, season. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. So I mean, we were just talking about, you know, scheduling the weekend to go hunt that one. Down in West Virginia? Down in West Virginia. Oh, did you tell your wife that? <laughs> I, just, I just did. Just gave her a wink there? <laughs> just so you know. Was there ever any other states that did it? There's some other states out west I know that have like traditional muzzleloader seasons they, where they have some restrictions on, you know, you can't use scopes. You have to use like primitive sites. Yeah, the, it's primitive. They call it primitive, because, but you can use... Cap lock. Cap lock. I think that's the, the main difference. You have to use an old school, like, fl- actual flintlock or cap yeah, lock. In Pen- yeah, in Pennsylvania, it's, it, Pennsylvania's the only one that has just a flintlock, which is, like, the most rudimentary yep. kind of muzzleloader. So, so, like, so you heard of saying lock, stock, and barrel? Yeah. So that's that comes from muzzleloaders. So you have, like, three elements to a muzzleloader. You've got the stock, you've got the barrel. And then you've got the lock. So flint lock is using a piece of stone or flint to strike a, it's called a frizzen. And the frizzen, you shave a little bit of hot steel off into some powder and it ignites. And that's what your ignition you source hope is. Does. You hope it you does. Hope it, <laughs> yeah. That's the, yes. <clears throat> that's the key a, right there. Yeah. But a cap lock, right? That's a, just another style of lock that was invented it, after the flint is lock. Is it the one with the little caps? Little percussion Little cap. percussion yeah. caps, yeah. yeah. So, and if you go way back, the original before flintlocks, it was they used to light a little piece of fuse. Oh yeah, matchlocks, right? Matchlock, exactly. Yeah. Yep. So, Pennsylvania is the only one that has the flintlock season. Yeah, it's a flintlock only. And PA in 1974 was when PA first had it, and I, I don't think many people participated, but it's it's grown quite a bit since then. And. Yeah, it starts the day after Christmas, and then you get 
almost uh, four weeks to hunt. So it's a it's a pretty good opportunity. Um, you know, it's a lot of guys aren't going out when it's yeah cold and yeah, yeah the deer. They didn't throw a Sunday in, did they? Most not, not for the late season. Most no. most wives don't approve of letting you out of the house after. <clears throat> been through uh three months of hunting season so <laughs> yeah it's a tricky season but it's a nice time of year to be out uh i like to i like to go out and scout and do some scouting and walk around a lot you can see their leaves are off the trees usually yeah. obviously so you can see deer trails where deer i mean yep. if you have snow yeah snow's on the ground you can see where they're going yeah so that's why i like to hunt it um see the terrain a lot better i feel like with you know yeah without the leaves being on the trees yep. yeah I think you had snow this year, didn't you? Not really. Uh, the no. second we had a little bit oh, when we went yeah. out. We, we went In the out. higher parts, uh, yeah. higher elevations, there was still some snow, yeah. Yeah, we, we the first group hunt we did was January 2nd. And we got and some snow was, on the last day. Yeah, yeah, we got snow on the last day, but um, you were the only one that was out. Yeah, on the I was day. the only one out on the last day. Yeah. And that was a Monday, so I was working. <laughs> Darn it. <laughs> um. So, you talked a little bit about the process of the ignition. You know, the flint strikes the frizz and the frizzen yep. sparks. So people, I don't know, like I remember researching this at one point. I'm a, so I didn't really say what my background is, but I'm an engineer. So I'm always asking why or wanting to know how stuff works. and Trying to make things better. Try, even when they don't drives, need to be better. Drives Jeremy nuts. Because <laughs> uh, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. does not apply to me. So... But uh, so anyway, I, I'm being curious about what causes, uh, you know, the spark to happen, right? And so actually what happens is when the, the stone or the flint hits the steel, it actually shaves a little bit of, of the steel off. And actually, like I think it's iron is, uh, I don't know what the word is, but basically like it'll catch fire as soon as it is exposed to the atmosphere. But it has to be like a microscopic small amount of steel. So... Anyway, it's not the it's not the flint, flint that's causing the spark necessarily. It's the shaving of the steel off that actually causes it to burn and hmm. lands in a little <clears throat> little uh, I guess you call it the pan. So it flips the frizzen up, and then the sparks land in the pan, and you have a little bit of priming powder in there, and then that's what ignites. And then you, there's a hole drilled in the side of your barrel. And they, it's called a touch hole. Touch hole or a vent, I think is the other name for it. Um, so, and there's a lot into, to tuning that whole process. So there's lots of different little tricks and tips that you can do to try to make it go off faster. But the reality is when you get into this time of year and it's snowing or raining and you can't predict what's going to, uh, you know, it's a real challenge. What's going to be happening. I know this year when we hunted at first time, what we have, we, we like to do drives and we had a pretty decent drive going and i think we had what four misfires three, three misfires yeah. three misfires yeah. on the very first drive wrong. and it was wet that day yeah. it was, you can't can't control the weather and the weather really bit us that day because yeah we, had, we couldn't get guns a, to go off to save our lives a deer that, that came flying through i saw you know 10 or 12 run this way and as i'm watching those another one 40 yards away came right out in front of me stopped stood still give me the perfect shot and like gun just wouldn't go off yeah yeah, it was damp that day. And yeah. So Or you'll or the deer will be running and you'll think you'll think you have one chance for a shot and you 
as soon as a gun goes off and you shoot, and then they'll stand then there. Then the best chances are, yeah, right, right after that. While you're reloading. Maybe you need two so. guns. Shoot one in the air. Yeah. Just make them stop. <laughs> and take one of those <laughs> trapper pistols. Can't tell you how often that's happened, though. A deer running up to me, and you think you're going to have better get your shot off before they disappear, and then it's boom, you shoot, and you mess clean, and they just stand there and look at you. Yeah. So there's different types of powders that it's black powder. Um, so there's a powder that you put down the barrel for your main charge and it's powders designated in the, in the size of the grains. So I use a three F powder down my barrel. I use about 80 grains. Use three F. Yeah. I use three F. Use, How come? I use 2F. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It's like and it's what my uncle showed me when he was oh, really? teaching me how to load the, the rifle. I so. use 2F, yeah. So 2F is coarser than 3F, yeah. and 4F I is... I was thinking that 3F was used for like 45 calibers or... Yeah, I've heard of like used for pistols. Pistols, and, yeah. yeah. But I think some guys use it for... The, it's like one of those things too, I think, you know, probably we don't... We talk about this as it'd be a good idea to like practice more and experiment yeah, yeah. more Definitely and actually see that. you know so it's like maybe 3f works better than 4f but yeah that, it's, it's just kind of like whatever somebody I, you know, showed you yeah it's what, is what you do and yep i haven't i haven't experimented it enough with it to change and i bought a you know a pound of 3f so it takes a while <laughs> it's to lasted you for a long time eight yep. ten years so um but i did i did read that the smaller grains of powder create more pressure so you got to be careful of overloading it or over packing it with with this that was talking about like tips i remember reading that one this year when i was like looking up little tips on how to make your flintlock go off faster and they were saying how like with a, a cap lock when the cap goes off it's shooting like a, a stream of fire into the charge like especially like an inline muzzleloader um and so like it's igniting a whole bunch of grains of powder all at once and with a flintlock, it's more like lighting a fuse. So when you ignite the pan, it's like a fuse coming over. And so you actually want to like pack it loose. So what you should do is like when your gun's nice and clean and you load your gun, you should basically mark your ramrod. And then if you, you know, next time you go to load it, you'll be at that same point where, because you might lose the feel of like when that patch just comes in contact with the powder. So. Which brings up another thing was we could talk maybe about the So you don't want to be packing it you down. Don't I always see guys yeah. you know, so just we, hammering we, down on what, it. What yeah. I always, one of my friends showed me one time is how you do it is you push it all the way down and then you, you like kind of like throw your ramrod like down. tap it down. And then like, you like you throw it and you throw it and you throw it until it like bounces back out. And that was always what I would do. But that's actually kind of working against you because then – all the all that powder in the base of your barrel is all packed tight, right? So if you're trying to light off a chain of a fuse, so to speak, it's you're working against yourself. It's going to be a slower, slower reaction. I I've, I've never had too much trouble. I shouldn't I'm jinx, jinx myself with my gun going off. I, I think your gun this, does seem to go off pretty this well. This year was the second time in. But eight years of hunting with the flintlock that it hasn't gone off when I've been shooting at a deer. Mm-hmm. Um, it happened 
couple years ago, <clears throat> and uh, I just shoved a little bit more pan powder in through the touch hole, and then another deer came through a half hour later, and I shot it. So, mm-hmm. and no, then, I've always heard too <clears throat> that like in the in the pan. You shouldn't overfill that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You know don't I mean? put it right yeah. against the. Tonsil. Yeah. Don't put tons of it in there's there. There's a and... lot you can experiment with. So there's like different finenesses of the pan powder. So we were talking about using four F versus three F, and so like most guys, what I always hear is like four F is what you use for the pan powder. That's what I use. But then there's this other. There's different companies that make the powder, and there's one of the companies offers this thing, which is basically like it's called Null B, yeah. and it's it's like the finest. It's basically anything that. I don't know. They collect off the equipment that mm-hmm. didn't go through the screens. It's like smaller than the smallest screen size that they have to screen the black powder. But the problem is what I read too before. And again, do you like use that? I do. You- I have used that this year, but and again, like just reading some things and, and I, some of this makes sense is like, so the more, I guess the moisture of the situation, right? So if you're, it's a damp day and you have like a lot of rain and stuff, that would be actually kind of work against you because it's going to, yeah, it's going to collect the moisture easier. Exactly. It collect the moisture easier. So they say like, if it, depending on the conditions, maybe you want to use a a coarser pan powder that doesn't absorb water as easily. So, which makes sense. Yeah. And then there's people like, I know Jason is one of the guys that hunts with us. I noticed this year he had like a leather kind of covering for his flint lock. Yeah. uh, I need cow's knee, I think. Cow's knee. Yeah. I don't think that's so. what he was calling it. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, um, so there's different. I mean, there's that's something I want to get. Or I, did, does he like that? Do you? Use I don't one know. Of those? I don't. I haven't used one and, because I had a but, tough time with that one year, and I learned my lesson the one year. I was kind of keeping it, my gun kind of tucked underneath my arm, you know, the whole day, trying to keep the rain from getting to it, and then it just ended up getting my perspiration. Oh yeah, was actually yeah. working against me. You know what I mean? Like I ended up getting damp and, and like moisture down in there just from like it being under my arm whole you know for you know carrying it for hours like that then there's a lot too like you know different flints like so some people prefer like the man-made kind of like cut flints and then there's like those people believe in the you know like english, english flints yeah. is supposedly the gold standard for flints they're like hand-napped so, and then sure, positioning, that's what you have, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then you got like, well, then, then there's uh, like positioning. How much up. did you pay for those, yeah, Tony? Yeah. <laughs> Two bucks. <laughs> Cheap. No, they, uh, the positioning of the flints too. Like, so you can, you can put the, like, uh, the flat edge up or down. And so like a lot yeah, of this that's comes kind of like the, a Ford Chevy argument I, I saw is like some people prefer it up, some people prefer it down. It down. So that, there's a lot, I mean, I think so I remember uh, when I first moved to New York State, I grew up in Pennsylvania, and we had to take a hunter's ed course. And so, like, you know, once you took the hunter's ed course, you'd get your license. So I moved to New York. They, uh, In order to hunt archery season, you had to have an archery-specific uh, hunter's ed. And I was like, what the heck? This is crap. Like, why do I got to take hunter's ed? I've hunted archery for 10 years you know why should i have to do this and but i i did i'm it's funny because sometimes those situations you actually end up learning something right so i remember i picked up it was like the guy that taught that he uh his big thing was like know your equipment right like experiment with it like make sure it's working properly i think it's important in archery but it, it's Don't also take your turkey gun 
out without patterning. No ear equipment. Yeah. <laughs> I think you learned that lesson. That's yeah. uh, stuck with me, you know. It's like, and I don't always follow it, you know, do as I say, not as I do. But definitely, I mean, I think, you know, you can just learn a lot from, you know, Tinkering. don't just listen to what somebody else says. Uh, try it. See if it works for you. That's something I think we need to do as a group. More, you yep. know, like you, like we were saying, maybe do a range day this year. Yep. And get together because I don't to shoot figure my out when those nearly shoots enough. are. Yeah, those uh, club shoots are, so we can go to those. How long do powders last? I've had mine for eight or ten years, and it still goes off. So Jeremy was talking about he's. Yeah, got stuff that's I have, like twenty I mean, years old. Oh yeah, the the original powder that I bought. I don't hunt muzzleloader that much, really. Yeah, you know. So I'm doing, you know, if I get a couple shots a year and a couple here at the range, you know what I mean? Like I'm not shooting it tons. So I have powder yeah. that's. Pretty, I don't think any of us old. really shoot muzzleloaders for a hobby. Like we're doing. No. Like we shoot it to be able to experience this late season, yeah. right? Yeah, and yeah, that, that could be amazing. part of our downfall, right? Because yeah. like we don't, you know shoot them as much as we should it's I've kind of a once a year more deer than i've killed with yeah. the flintlock yeah so what are some of the things you've learned like i, mean, I think my big thing on that is uh like having a rest i remember oh like, yeah definitely you definitely have yeah. to have a solid rest you can't shoot a flintlock off carrying me. a shooting stick yeah i have to carry a shooting i've missed stick with me. way more deer with muzzleloaders than i care to admit and i think uh the one year i missed two bucks <clears> in the same season and i finally went to the range and i I got like stole some of the kids art paper and I made myself like a cartoon of a deer and I put it up at like 35 yards and I'm <laughs> like, all right, I'm like, how could I, how could I miss this? You know, like, and I remember like completely missing this like life size deer target at 35 yards offhand. And it's like, okay, I can't, I just can't, I just can't do it. Like no matter how much I say to myself, I'm not going to flinch or don't flinch. It's like, yeah, I think flinching with the muzzleloaders. I yeah, mean, that's that's it's, the one thing. Yeah. That's where practice is. So gonna... I think having a rest is is really huge. Yeah, but because uh, it's like the second year I was flintlock hunting, I took it out in the early season because we had that inline season. But I took it the flintlock, and I was hunting my archery stands like you would. So I was hunting back back behind the house here, and this this little doe walks up ten yards away, and I'm like, oh yeah, and like I offhand shoot and then you know of course there's a little bit of delay and i put my gun down <laughs> shoots right underneath yeah. it and just trots away and I'm like, i was so upset with myself i just oh. went home just, like, oh, I, I remember that's it yeah. yeah we're done i remember walking into this real thick spot it was like kind of a pasture overgrown old pasture and i'm like saw these saw these deer down below me and I'm kind of like stalking up, stalking up. And all of a sudden they like one of them gets up and starts running. I start seeing deer run like all over the place and there's a real steep drop off behind it. And so like I sprinted as fast as I could to that drop off to like look over the bank to see if I could maybe get a shot as they're running away. And I looked down and they were long gone. Well, I turn around and like one of these deer was evidently like, sleeping pretty hard or something and it gets up to like what the heck's going on over here comes like walking in and stops at like less than 20 yards looking right at me and i freaking shoot and smoke goes in the air and i'm i mean complete clean missed it like how in the world could you miss a deer at 20 yards that's what's funny about that season it is though it's and you get those opportunities you just got to be out there to to get them so i mean i and I watch a lot of like hunting public and I see a lot of these things happen to those guys. And I'm just like, 
how in the world do these guys get these opportunities? But I think a lot of it is is just they're out there. They're out there a lot, right? So it's that's I think that's what they do. It's just another uh, this late season the PA has. It just gives you more opportunities to get out there. And if you're out there, yeah, stuff might happen. Yeah, eventually know? something's so, going to happen. Just another another opportunity to get out. So we talked about the powders. Um, so I think it's been relatively recently that PA started allowing other things than the round ball, right? Yeah, I mean, it, I want to say it might have been maybe, I don't know, it seems like time flies, but it, maybe five to ten years ago they started to allow something. It used to be round ball only. only yeah. And so a lot of the guns that are out there, at least in our area, are older guns that have a real slow twist rate, which is what you want for, for round balls. Twist, so, twist rate, meaning the, the twist of the rifling, rifling the barrel. inside the barrel, yeah. And so if you have a slow twist rate gun, you, you're going to get best accuracy with a, with a round ball, a patched round ball. So, but if, uh, a patch if got, being a piece of lubricated pillow ticking. Yep. And they make different thicknesses. This is get into yeah. like the, the yeah, nerdy um, experimentation stuff. You can, they make different thicknesses of them. Mine's 10, 10,000 thick pillow ticking and a 490 ball, I think is what I'm shooting. What are you shooting? Yeah. But then you shoot yeah, Sabbaths. I've right? got Sabbaths. I think it's so you got a more modern gun though, right? Like it's yeah. a stainless Mine's steel. A, like, yeah, a Firestorm, Thompson Firestorm. So um, some of the newer design ones, they got a faster twist rate, and you can shoot sabots, which I, are going to be. I don't even know what would it was it one in forty eight maybe. One in forty eight was like the traditional Hawken right yeah. okay twist rate, but I think but then, I think because like my uncle let me use his Firestorm, and I think that's what he said that was because yeah. I was shooting patch round of that. Yeah. I'm not sure. I think I've one, always I think one in forty eight might be like in between. Yeah, like where, where you can kind of do you both. Can kind of shoot either. Well, then what's but, the other one? One in. 16. One in seventy-two. I know. Okay. I've heard one before. There's sixty-four. One in twenty-eight is a faster one. Yeah. Oh, okay. I I can't I think of say the smaller number. The yeah, I'm trying to think yeah. of all yeah. the different numbers that they're. Because with the faster rate, a round ball is not as consistent because it, it spins it too fast, right? So it loses a lot of consistency. Is yeah. Exactly. The, yeah. The, yeah. If you, yep. Penny wants, yeah, be, the Penny, wants Penny wants to be on the podcast. podcast. Yeah. <laughs> she just wants to play. No, but I've been shooting these Sabbats, and they shoot pretty good out of my gun. And I don't know. I like them. They have a kind of a hollow point, and they expand pretty well. Any deer I've ever shot, it's pretty done pretty. So dumb question. There's a lot you, of damage you, to You uh, put it in with this plastic? And yeah. The plastic is yeah. called the Sabbat. See, I mean, that's the downside, I would say, to shooting round balls is, I mean... Yeah, that just punches a hole. It doesn't. Right. Like, I mean, uh, your blood trail isn't going to be. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. yeah, when you shoot one with a, with a bullet well, like that, forty five or fifty. No, it's a, a fifty cal. That's what I shoot in the inline mm-hmm. sevens. Yep. And then there's like maxi balls. <clears throat> it's yeah. like. You don't have a sabot or a patch. No, I mean the the bullets cast. They're with like a ring on it. That's a little bit. That's what Pierce was trying to yep, tell me. Yeah, something like day, a maxi right? ball. Yeah. Yep. And then they, they, there's one called like a PA conical. I saw Hornaday makes a thing called a PA conical, sure what those look like. which is it's like a half between a ball and a sabot. It's uh, it's got some like knurling on the outside of it that basically. Okay. So you guys shoot just a round ball. 
We yep. shoot round ball. Yeah. I, I shoot patched round ball. Yeah. yeah. Straight. Yeah. It just looks like a marble. If you're uh, researching muzzleloaders on the internet, you'll see guys talk about PRB. Not, not P- PBR. Not, not PBR, yeah. <laughs> patched round ball. So. I think it's another example, though, of like. But, yeah, projectile is another thing. It's like, again, you can read a bunch of stuff and see what, you know, what we're saying. I think this is uh, generally good advice. So you have a faster twist rate. You can probably want to shoot a conical. If you have a slower twist rate, you want to shoot a round ball. But, again, I think uh, experiment. Yeah. See what works. Different different charges of powder and different projectiles and see what groups get out of your gun. How many grains of powder do you shoot? 80. 80? What do you shoot? I shoot 90, 95. 95. I shoot a 54, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, I 54. shoot 50s. I forgot you had so, 50, yeah. yeah. I shoot 90. Seems to work pretty good. Um, so in PA, it has to be open sights. It can't be a scope, which would look really funny on a flintlock. Yeah, it really scope. would. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it used to be... It used to be that you couldn't shoot a peep sight. So Which you you, could, you had yeah, they yep. changed that. They changed that like in that same time frame when they switched over to say you could, you know, use conical bullets and different projectiles, they started allowing you to use the peep sights. sights. Yep. Um Which I'm a big fan of. Do you of. like the peep sight? I love I love it. Oh, yeah, I, mean, I was looking me, through it. I I'm yeah. I'm debate I'm I'm thinking I should switch over. Make Why? Switch. For me you, it, you can yeah. like you know how and I, I was when Lindsay was shooting my gun I was like, bury, bury that front sight, and she wasn't quite sure. But like, you have a lot of like wiggle room, you know. You either put it when you have it's, the V. It's too bad we're your, not on video right yeah, now. Yeah, when you have the V of the, <laughs> where he's got his fingers up here showing us the V of the sights. But no, I mean, there's, there's, yeah, yeah. you can. Uh, I mean, depending and and if it's dark out, right? Like, I mean, I've the first deer I ever killed with a muzzle. I remember it being like pretty dusky right and you know i had the old traditional sights you know iron sights and it was i was like it was snowy so i had a snowy background and i was i'd pull the sight over against the snow and then i'd pull it back to the deer and then i'd pull it back to the snow so i'm like trying to get a sight picture see, of this mine deer. Is fiber optic yeah, sights. Fiber optic. See, so that helps yeah. with that yeah. that aspect of yeah. it but so I it's think legal fiber optics legal Fiber optics. Yeah. Go. What I like about it, I like the. I'm an archery hunter, and for me, you know, it's like when I'm shooting through a peep sight, I've got a fiber optic front sight, and then the peep in the back, and it's just, it's like I'm shooting my bow. Yeah. You know, and for and me, it's it moves that what's it called parallax or whatever yeah. you want to call it. And I mean, it's just you put the. I mean, your your brain automatically puts that fiber optic pin in the middle of the the peep, and now, just my preference. In, in those low light conditions, do you yeah. have an issue seeing, seeing through, through that? the peep? No, I don't. Mm-hmm. Not with the fiber optic, anyway, but. I don't know. So the last, we t- talking about how we were out on the last day, and uh, so I was actually taking my son out, and uh, he got an opportunity and, and shot, and actually he wounded one that we weren't able to recover, which was a big bummer. But that would be the I would say like that would be a disadvantage to the peep is so we were tracking this deer, and it was through some thick, awful stuff and crawling underneath things and. You know, there was this, it snowed pretty hard that day. There's a lot of snow in the trees, and anytime we'd knock snow off the trees and stuff, it was getting caught in that peep constantly, uh, and I was blowing it out. out. 
versus okay, I think I if you had, never thought of that. If you had a traditional sights, iron sights, you probably wouldn't have had that problem. So I guess that's maybe a One disadvantage downside, yeah. downside to the peep sight. So when we're hunting, we always have a possibles bag. I know, Tony, you have the same type. It's an Allen Company little, yeah, little two side. zipper goes on your belt. But yeah, so what do you, what do you keep in your possibles? I have I have like three or four. Let's see. Jeremy, mine right Jeremy brought his. his. Yeah. Let's open her up. This is good because this will talk about some of the things you need. You know, some of the tools we haven't right. talked about yet. Uh, where do you want to start? The ball a, starter. A ball I starter. Start with the ball starter. Yeah. Yeah. So there's different kinds of ball starters. There's ones that got a big old ball on it. Yeah. And, I know, got the big old ball here. I usually just put the bullet up in the top and just there's kinda, a short side little and then nipple here on the side. Just kind of yep. push that in and, and there's get a my long ball side. Yeah. yeah. So like I use there's another another type. Jeremy's got both. Uh, it's a T a T handle ball starter. Yeah, that's in here too somewhere. Yep, that right there. I usually T-handle. just I I don't know why I just that's one I've always that just used. The threads T. into my ramrod. Yeah, um, that's for my breech plug. So my gun has a breech plug. I yeah, can disassemble the whole gun. So in. there's there's another thing we haven't talked about yet. So the more modern flintlocks, which is kind of an oxymoron when you think about it. Yeah. Um, they have like your Firestorm. I know a Traditions PA pellet because that's what I bought my dad. They have a removable breech plug, so it's you can just take your ramrod, undo the breech plug, take your ramrod, and shove out your load, so you don't have to shoot it. Or it's a lot yeah. easier to clean. If something goes wrong, yeah. I can just take the gun apart. I can take that breech plug out. I can just remove everything and start over if I need to. Where I have a Lyman Deerstalker, and you have a Thompson Center. I got a Thompson Center Renegade, and those do not have removable breech plugs so if i forget to put powder in the barrel before i put my you've never done that have you (laughs) i have (laughs) um you have to do some finagling to get that out i've heard people use compressed air to get them out um there are ball pullers where you thread on this like it's a essentially a screw yeah it just screws right into your round ball i just used that so that situation the other night where my son hit this deer and we tracked it for two miles before it went off onto some property we didn't have access to and it didn't show any signs of slowing down and we had so anyway yeah dragging that gun through the snow for two miles uh you know it was not going to go off i mean i didn't even try that so i just went right to the to the ball puller so it's the you know real sharp and you just you can kind of feel it you know, the ramrod, you just set it down in there and screw it in and then just pull it out. It worked good. There was no problem. So. The, the one time that I put the ball in before powder, I was at one of those muzzleloader shoots with, um, it would be my father-in-law's cousin. He's a, he was a national champ for shooting a flintlock. He builds his own flintlocks. And so that would be, that's like the perfect guy to have with you when you make a stupid mistake like that. <laughs> So what he showed me is he, he just took a bunch of 4F pan powder and just kept shoving through the touch hole. Show, and, you know, he did that for like five, ten minutes and finally put it off. And it was like, boop, and it just it just came out the end. <laughs> just barely rolled out. Yeah, it just barely rolled out, but it worked. So That's the ball puller right there, Tyler. Actually, yeah. mine might be a little bit broken. There's <laughs> something on the end there. It doesn't look very sharp anymore. No, I think it's pulled a couple, wanna, pulled a couple you, balls so, there. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, they talk about that. It's a little doll on there. Yeah, yeah. I think I've used it's, that a few It's like a, a, a wood screw times. on the end. Might be time for a new ball puller there. 
Duck you don't on. even need one. You have the breech plug. I got a little like nipple or uh, what do you call cleaner it? Cleaner out pick, yeah. you know, pick, yeah. for the touch hole. Yeah, yeah, for the touch hole, just to clean it out in case it gets clogged up. Patch puller. I don't shoot you, patches, yeah, but when gonna... I do, I have one. Um, jag. Jag. Yeah. I don't know. So, so like, if you're at the range, like, typically what I would do between every shot, I'm going to run a, a wet patch just to clean the clean board it out, out, you know. But, like, Make if I'm hunting, move. usually I'm, I'm not going to do that unless for some reason I, I mean, shot. If, you had if I had to shoot more than once and, if you, and you're having a hard time getting the gun to reload, then, you know, yeah, you might want to th- thread on your, your cleaning jag and run a, run run a patch, a wet patch down, which spit is actually a pretty good uh cleaner believe it or not from experience yeah it's uh that's kind of the little picks there just try and keep things clean powder measure one thing you don't have in there i noticed uh yeah what don't i have tell me uh q-tips with uh some alcohol on there i just started when when we were out that first day and you cleaned my gun after i misfired i saw that you had the alcohol good idea yeah they work good dry it out real quick yep the alcohol evaporates pretty good even moist out there you can what do you clean with it like what do you use like the the pan yeah so you wipe the pan out like if you're like when it gets all caked it gets all wet especially the issue usually your gun will do pretty good but if you have a like a misfire where either so there's two different types of mis, misfires you can have a misfire where you don't the pan powder doesn't ignite and then you can have a misfire where the pan powder goes off but, but it doesn't light the main off. charge off and so if your pan powder goes off whether or not your gun goes off or not if you need to shoot again that's when things can become more difficult because that it leaves like a residue in yeah, there it'll up. and if it's wet wet out that residue is going to get Damp and so you have an, if you have that Q-tip with some alcohol on it and wipe all that crap out of there, it works pretty good to get things dry again. So powder measure, powder measure there. Yep. I just keep it like preset there, so I don't have to you know remember you know how many grains was it again. Yep. It's already ready to go. Um, powder, extra powder. Yeah, it's good. I think Corey was talking about it before we uh, started recording. He had an incident where his so. I always carry my, uh, there's a little little tool, I don't know what you call it, a, a charging tool or a pan primer. Pan yeah, primer, I call yeah. it a touch so It's a brass, it's, yeah. a, it's a brass. Yeah, uh, and I'll, I'll link um, pictures and stuff in the show notes of what yeah. all these little tools are. But it's this little, uh, it's little tool for priming your pan. Yeah, and basically it has that 4F powder a, in it. Yep, and it's got it's, a spring-loaded plunger on it. It's kind of depressed that right in the, in the pan, and it just puts that priming. Yep. Priming powder in there. I wear mine on on a necklace, so it's always right yeah, there. Always yeah, right that's there. one but thing that I really that. liked this year. I saw you doing that, and I was like, because I always have to dig for mine, and yep. I'd never know what pocket it's in. But if it was right around your neck, you'd always have easy access to it. I'm, I'm, you picked it up for me. I picked it up from some guys I used to, to hunt with back in college. We'd do some driving similar to what we do now, and uh, all those guys did that. And I picked that up, and it's definitely a good good way to have it always ready so and that's yeah. a good tip like when you're out hunting right and so constantly checking that flipping that frizzing up and just checking to make sure your powder's dry and if it's getting wet if it's snowy out wipe it out put put fresh pan powder in there but like Corey was saying he uh he had a situation where his little plunger on his pan primer got stuck in the up position and drained drained out yeah, i've had of, it yeah everything yeah, uh, yeah. i I've think had you the had same that thing happen yeah. yep so i always carry like an extra little tuba 
pan powder to yeah, I, I just I refill. put extra 4F. I have an old prescription pill bottle. Yep. I just put, fill that up with extra 4F and put that in my possibles bag. Another thing that works good is like little screw top plastic test tubes. You can get them on Amazon for 50 of them for 10 bucks or something. Works good for pre-measuring your charges too. If you're you going to the range. Apple, or, Alibaba. Alibaba. <laughs> <laughs> Shipment of them. Yeah. Coming to Tony's door. And uh, you have oh, yeah. speed loaders. Yeah, I got speed, speed loaders. loaders those are handy. Those they are, are handy. Yep. I, so, I, I recommend those the hunting public fun. guys were talking about how they put uh, primers. I think it was those guys, or maybe it was somebody else. I can't remember, but I saw like they when they're using like flintlock season, they like to have a primer in each pocket. So no matter you know if you shoot and you need to reload and you're trying to find a primer real quick, you might have a primer in each pocket. You know, it might be a good. Oh, idea. it was the mountain deer guys in Maine. Mountain deer guys, it was, yeah. I like that idea, you know, and I'm, I was thinking about, like, quick loads, right? I mean, I guess if you always are reaching for your possibles pouch, like, but, yeah, I mean, have it accessible. Yeah, yeah. so I'll, like, just put one of these, like, right in my pocket, yeah. like, in my hunting pocket, you know, and that way, if I need a quick shot, it's got everything already pre-measured in it. Yep. My, my sabbated bullets in there, I can open one end, dump my charge in, and then I can know it's open the other end and shove my ramrod, ramrod right down through there and... And I can load pretty quick. Speed loaders are basically just a tube with two caps on each end. Yeah, it's got two caps on each end. Like or I said, a cap on each end. A cap on yeah, yeah, a cap on each end, and then it's got the you know I've already the night before measured everything out and it's all ready to go. Yeah, so Art. one side you put the powder, and the other side you put either your patch round ball or your sabot. And so when you need to load real quick after shooting, open the one cap, dump your powder in, open the other cap. And line it up with your barrel and shove it through with your starter, and then take your ramrod out, shove it down. Yeah, I think we're ready to go. I think our forefathers would be laughing at us right now, probably a little bit. Probably. <laughs> maybe they'd be proud of us though yeah, for carrying a yeah, tradition. Carrying on, on right? the tradition, maybe. Boar butter, you gotta have some boar butter just for lubing things up. I think that's about yeah, it. So yeah, this stuff uh, Jeremy's talking about. It's Thompson Center makes it, but it's a. Uh, it's like a waxy yellow paste that yeah. lubricates your patch and helps it slide down the barrel easily. So definitely important to have. I recent or last year I recorded an Adventures for Food podcast about my time hunting with my flintlock and forgetting to put the flint in it in the hammer. So I carry extra flints in my possible bag for, for that. I've reason. done that. Yep, I carry an extra flints, and then so I need to be writing this stuff down here. The, the uh, extra flints. What was the other thing? Alcohol, uh, Q-tips soaked yep. in alcohol. All right. Then uh, see, I like, learned something. Yeah, uh, you gotta have a way to. You gotta either have a screwdriver, you know, depending on what how you're. So like you know to hold the flint in, you either need a screwdriver or like. So my, I think that's why I have this Allen key. I was wondering why I have this Allen key. Is that how you Allen key? But because I think to get that screw. So for mine, mine has has a hole. Has just a hole, and I can just use this Allen key. Yeah, mine has a hole too, and I got like a little key that fits in the hole, and so some sort of a tool to tighten it up. So a little bit of extra leather to grip the flint. Yeah, not a bad idea. Just um, leather work glove. I just cut a square off of that. Yeah, I think mine was from an old baseball glove. Like back in the day that I was going to pitch, I just cut a little chunk out of it. I'm still using it. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. 
It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. So we were just talking about the possibles back. Unloading, like we were talking about earlier, you can just, for the more modern ones, you can take out the breech plug and just, but I just shoot it. Or like you had to do, you had to use a ball puller. Cleaning, I think cleaning is an area where there's a little bit of contention on how not I wouldn't say contention, but no, it's different the, the, methods. Yeah, really. yeah, different methods. Debate on what what's yeah. best. I just use I take off my barrel and I put it touch hole into a bucket of hot soapy water. So I use Dawn dish soap, not hot, warm. Yeah, I was always I don't know like I can remember hearing like hot water, so I thought hotter was better, and I would used to boil it. And then I would, you know, that barrel would be smoking hot, which called yourself. Yeah. I mean, and I thought, okay, this is good because then it like dries really good, right? Yeah, but, it dries. But the, but the problem is, is that they say that like when you get it really hot like that and then you expose the water, you get like flash rust, rust on it. So you don't want, you don't want it to be scalding hot, but you do want it to be hot enough. I, I just go for the hottest. That it yeah, comes out of the tap. Yeah. And that way, you know, it's going to dry good, but it's not going to flash rust. So, so I stick touch hole in yeah. into the bucket. I take the uh, cotton tip, or is that what that is, cotton or whatever, the, the soft soft brush that goes on the end of the ram that you can screw in. Oh, I don't have one. Well, I just use a cleaning patch. I use a jag. A jag I, with a patch Yeah, on but it. mine fits tight. Into the barrel, so I go up and down, and it creates that hydraulic effect. Yeah, that's a yeah. that's a jag. Well, no, it's it's a, the soft one. It's like I don't have I don't, I don't have a soft one. one. I have a brass. I need to get a soft a brass here. jag. You have to yeah. show that. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to show you. Okay. Yeah, I just use my brass jag and like one. a cleaning patch yeah. and just <laughs> yeah, you do that. Suction, yeah, you, you can and hear it sucks it. the yeah. yeah, it'll suck yeah. the and then, water from the bucket. So you put your yeah. We didn't really go through. There's there's a key, so you have to take the ramrod out first, and then there's a key that. Wedges in. I call. I think they call it a wedge, wedge pin. Wedge yeah. pin. Yeah. That, that holds. Don't your lose that. Don't lose That's that. Lose your wedge that. pin. Don't lose your wedge pin. Yeah. You're gone. Yeah. Can you lose your wedge? I pin? lost my wedge <laughs> pin. Yeah. Fortunately, my buddy. He has the same muzzle loader. He made me a wedge pin uh, for my muzzle loader. Then turned around and lost his wedge pin in the process. So he had to make another one for for his, for his gun. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of an important part. Yeah. Don't lose that part. But after you take your wedge pin out, you can it'll roll the. The barrel rolls up out of it, and you can basically put up, you know, you get a hot bucket of hot water. Or I used to use Dawn soap too, and then I read that's not necessary, and you're supposed to just use, I don't know, again, just like water. do whatever. But just uh, get it clean. Get make it clean. sure you do get it clean. You have to, yeah. Especially, yeah. I mean, it's just going to rust to no end yeah. if you yeah. leave anything yep. in there. So I, I go through, I do the, with the Dawn dish soap and water a while and, and reverse the patch. I usually, you guys, you know, I put it down one way and then I flip the patch around and what do you guys do to use for or? like around your lock? Cause I always get like some rust that like gets yeah. like around my lock. I, I get a, I get a toothbrush. The, the I use bristle, it. the, like a 20, the, the wire brush that goes down the 22 barrel. I take that and I kind of scour yeah. around on the but pan. You, like, you don't around. use any kind of like oil or anything. No, I use it. There, I you? use a toothbrush and then I, uh, you know what I, 
I bought this new lock this year. To I told you guys about retrofitting. I had a Thompson Center. I put a different lock on it, and uh, the instructions on that recommended you use car wax, which actually isn't a bad idea. I think because they say like oil with muzzle loaders, like when you uh, you know like the flash of the pan going off and stuff. If you have oil on there, that can actually create more fouling versus like a wax product doesn't create as much. Yeah, so you can use uh, you can use oil, but they say that like certain types of oil will actually create more fouling. So a lot of times that's like the Thompson Center bore butter is, is like a natural product. It's not petroleum based. So they say it creates less fouling. Um, so you can run a big glob of that down after you get done cleaning your barrel or you could probably use some a little bit of that on there and kind of clean your clean your lock and put a little bit of that on there after you clean it i use a toothbrush hot water get it all clean and then put a little bit of wax on there good to know is it is it uh is it because of the powder the powder like salt it's like you can get corrosive like yep smokeless powder exactly yep but i think so like muzzleloaders aren't designed for smokeless powder, yeah, so you got to use black, some sort of black, black powder. But then there's different types of black. There's regular old fashioned black powder, which is, stuff. I think, the easiest to ignite. And then there's like newer the types py- of pyrodex. pyrodex and things. But I think even pyrodex is like more corrosive than oh yeah than black powder is. is by I use the the pellets in my inline, but I use them yeah. loose. In the I, I did see something though. I think. There is a company that makes smokeless powder muzzle loaders, though. I thought they do. You're right. There is like there is, but I don't know. I don't, there's like they, any they, they might not be legal. In yeah. PA, I don't know. No, I'm sure they're legal, but for the, for the inline, inline season, season. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we talked about what you do if you forget to put the powder in before you put the ball. We talked about wet powder. Um, we talked about having to shoot. Uh, with a stick, with a shooting stick, you don't want to shoot offhand. Yeah, I think, but I mean, and I think people. Well, but I think there's idea. people. I think there's people like, that are very accurate yeah. offhand. You know what I mean? But yeah, I think that's, for us that aren't shooting for, a lot, correct. That's that's the thing is we're a bunch of hacks that go out once a year to, yeah. to hunt. So yeah. we go out a couple times. We're not. A season uh, and, you know, we're mostly there to have fun, and we're not right. taking it too 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 serious you know so i mean i enjoy shooting muzzleloader and it's it's fun but i mean for me it's it's a way to get get out in this late season right so it's like if i wasn't for that late season i probably wouldn't shoot a muzzleloader very much you know not that i shoot much patriot yeah (laughs) small miss small small. (laughs) it's you have accuracy yeah right i can't imagine that shooting a ball through a rifle is really gonna actually help anything does it actually help because I thought like a ball was like for a smooth bore, like yeah, no, cool they, uh, so like the the slow twist rates are it does help. yeah, they're like they're actually supposed to be really accurate. They're very accurate, yeah. Like they talk about like clover leaf for you know the grouping. You know, you put three or four balls touching each other, it looks like a clover leaf. I mean, you know, I can't do that. I can't do that. Either, <laughs> no, but I, if I yeah. I shot three times before the season started to make sure nothing got bumped. And I fit three shots on a paper plate at 50 yards, and I was more than happy with that. Uh, well, the, back in the day, right, the, the Revolutionary War, it's one of the reasons why we won, because we had rifles, and the British had smoothbore muskets. But were they shooting balls back then, or were they shooting... I don't know. Like, I don't know. The, Good question. 
Sabbath style. Uh-huh. I don't know. I mean, I think I don't know. I think there's ac- maybe some improved accuracy potential there if you can if you have a fast twist rate and you can shoot a conical bullet. It's maybe more accuracy potential. I don't know. I don't know either. You're I think it, the wrong people. I think uh, yeah, I guess I am. accuracy. <laughs> I think it, for me, uh, at least, I think it's it's more about the deadliness, right? Like a conical is going to be a you know you can shoot a heavier bullet. You know, with a with a round ball, you're only going to have so much mass, right? So if you're shooting a fifty caliber, I don't know what's a fifty caliber round ball weigh. I don't know. I don't know. Two hundred probably uh, a lot. No, I don't think it's that much. No. I don't think so. In fact, I think I, I come to shoot a Sabbath. I left it in my car. I could probably tell I, you. I have my a box of them downstairs. I thought it was like two hundred. No, these those so those Sabbath bullets. Those are two forty. Maybe that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, of. I was thinking one seventy five. I thought it was in the two hundred range. Really? I, just, I could have swore it was in the two hundred range. Yeah, Tony will tell us. He's got one hundred and seventy five grains. Look at that. And a fifty caliber. One hundred seventy five. So shooting a conical, you can, you know like his are two forty, right? Yeah. You're gonna yeah. get more more mass, but don't and you, you also you, get more like. You know, I mean, like he's talking about their hollow points to get. Expansion. I'm probably getting a lot more energy expansion out of 240 yeah. grains. I'm sure. I'm sure you are. What's yeah. the velocity? Like, what are you shooting? So I want to say like feet per. I'd about ready to say like anywhere 1500 okay. to so two thousand feet per second, something like that would be uh, top end. Would be two thousand feet per yeah, second. I don't maybe. think mine's going that fast. But it's not. It's not horrible. No. Not I think I'm bad. getting like 1600 feet per second and like. 1400 so foot pounds. I guess how how far would you guys feel comfortable shooting at a deer? So I think the gun will kill farther than I'm going to be able to hit them. Yeah. Well, I, I'm yeah, not expecting so a lot. Of my like how far are you comfortable? Yeah. I don't expect much out of my muzzle loader. Like, maybe maybe like for me, like I don't know, 60 yards, 60, 75 yards. I was about to say 60. That, yeah. that one deer that I killed that first year we did. That drive together. It was um, like 150 yards. It was, yeah. it was at it was least probably, at least. It was probably farther than I sh- than I realized. It was probably what 80, 90 yards. Do you think it was that far? I don't. I don't, really don't remember, remember. But I trust you. Yeah. But it yeah. wasn't a great shot. No, I mean it was. It, I got the, the deer, job done, yeah, but it wasn't. Was say, you got the deer at the end yeah, of the day, yeah. so. Yeah. I mean, our no, range, that's the, best the range of, that we go to, yeah. Pine Grove, like, I think they have a, what, a 35? Yeah, it's a 35. That's usually yeah. where I shoot my muzzleloader at. They they had one of the pistol targets out there, yeah. so I moved that moved back that to 50. that out to 50, yeah. yeah. That's probably not a bad in the idea. Swamp? But yeah, yeah, it was like in the <laughs> middle of the stream. Yeah, yeah, I don't expect a whole lot out of my muzzleloader, you know. I'm, and that's probably, I should probably expect more, but like I said, for as, men, so, as much as I use it, as many times as I go out... 50 yards, so I'm happy. That's something we haven't talked about yet. That for me is like, why do you muzzleloader hunt? Like, what what's the reason? We talk about maybe, I guess, because it's another opportunity to get out yeah, there. Yeah, that's, that's the main mine, reason for me. Mine's a camaraderie. Like, I love to hunt with a group of people. Yeah. And I can't do that really in archery season. Archery yeah. is yeah. I'm sitting in Solo. a tree stand by yeah. myself. Yeah. And rifle hunting, I feel like we all have different we all have different traditions, so we never yeah. kind of like get to come together during that season. You know what I mean? Like you hunt with your dad down on your lease. And I feel like everybody too, I don't know, like maybe I'm misreading it a little bit, but it's like, I think in archery season and rifle season, it's, it's, it's your opportunity to kill a bigger deer. Right. So yeah. it's like for me anyway, like that's, I'm, that's I, your know, goal. I feel like my best chance of killing a bigger buck is the, 
be solo and the places that I've put yeah. a lot of time and effort into scouting and researching and trying to be strategic about. And it's like when it gets to the late season, if I haven't already got a buck, my chances of getting a, a nice buck are got really much slim, lower, yeah. right? You know, so it's like I'm usually we're trying to get it's a different goal. It's a, it's a, it's a different freezer. Yeah. It's a different objective. Yeah. 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 For me, yeah, it is yeah. literally the camaraderie. I like yeah. the aspect of everybody working and, towards a goal and like trying to, you yeah. know, figure out a drive and get yeah. be, get people deer. You know what I mean? And I like yeah, it's a lot of fun. I mean, I love the I love the the camaraderie aspect of it as well. Yeah, yeah it makes it. And you get to hunt as a, a big group. It's right after, then, right around Christmas. I feel like you're guaranteed somebody's work, gonna you know? miss, and then you can make fun of them. Yeah. So it's a- yeah. and there's no better. <laughs> make fun like, of me quite a bit. Like and a lot of times, like on these drives, like I'm not even sitting. Like I'm the one that's pushing, yeah. and I love hearing the guns go off. Like to me, no, that's, that's awesome. Like, yeah. And there's the just I talk about it. There's like it's funny, but there's like it's just a different sound. Oh when yeah, a I, love the, goes I off. love the sound. <laughs> boom. Yeah, it's like a really it's a deep. It's awesome. Heck, this year we had guns going off and they weren't even from our group, and I was excited. Like, you know, yeah, I'm like, yeah. yeah. And then all of a sudden they're like, yeah, that was some other guy shooting. I'm like, oh, all right, whatever. Somebody got something. They probably figure out that you guys go to the same spot. Like, there's yeah. always got dudes over here, and they're always driving to you. Yeah, let's get in. Let's, let's get in on there. that. Yeah. I just love too. Like, I love seeing the the like the times when we have snow like i love seeing a deer against snow you know i don't know what it is but it's like it, they don't like, have that anymore in no i mean it they stick out like a sore thumb oh, yeah. i mean it's you guys ever read hatchet yeah gary long, gary long paulson book so, yeah, then, ago, so there's yeah. a uh he's got a there's like the what happened if hatchet never got picked up if like brian robeson didn't get picked up in the and he didn't like make it out and winter would have happened. And uh, so like Gary Paulson, he's all about the like coming of age kind of books. And, um, you know, he's kind of like writes about traditional, like old school times and stuff. And I remember in that book, he was talking about how, uh, you know, when winter came and the snow came on, it was like huge advantage for the hunter. And, you know, it's like, I can imagine like our, the native Americans and stuff. I mean, back then, like, you, know, you get snow on the ground it's like it's a huge advantage you can see where the things are moving you can they stick out track them follow tracks yep. yeah i like being out there by myself too like as much as i like the camaraderie of it i do if i have an opportunity where you know like the weekends that we're not going to hunt together or whatever i it's you can pretty much you know like rifle season Anywhere you go, almost there's good chance there's going to be somebody else out there, right? Unless you own a bunch of land and you're going to post it, which none of us have that situation. So you're going to almost guarantee that there's going to be somebody out there with you. You're going to hear people shooting. You're going to. It's like so quiet in the late season. You know, I mean, oh yeah, it's the so the snow does that too. It muffles yep. everything. And you can be quiet. quiet. You can be sneaky. It feels like the deer kind of settle back down a little bit. I mean. They are definitely on edge. If you spook them, they're gonna. They're gonna like. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I mean, it's it's a it's definitely awesome being out there in the the late season. Something about it, and you can kind of like I don't know, just the fact that you're using a muzzleloader and you got all this like stuff with you. It's kind of like you're all kitted out, and I don't know. 
I, it makes me feel like Jeremiah Johnson. Yeah. I say that yeah. all the time, yeah. but... No, it is. Yeah, I agree. I completely agree with you. Yeah, yeah, it's like you're going back in time, and it's like mountain man. I, it's something about like when you bring a rifle, it's like there's a certainty about it, right? Like you know that gun's going to go off, and you know it's going to hit where you're going to, you know. I mean, it's the element of I don't know having to bring extra stuff in it. I don't know. I, I love a it. Challenge. The it's re- definitely reward a challenge. when you kill a deer with a muzzleloader, like that feeling, and it's like it's awesome. I mean, it's better than the biggest deer i've ever killed right it's the i can think back to shooting you know you shoot a doe and it's it's a trophy i mean any deer with a muzzleloader i think with especially with a flintlock when yeah. we're talking about flintlocks i mean it's uh i think like some of the 209 you know primary guns with you you have a single shot but you've got a scope and you've got instant ignition i mean it's uh yeah it's definitely different although my couple years ago my inline didn't go off oh really when i was shooting at a doe yeah that was that was a little frustrating. Yep, but there's just a, another level of challenge there. And so, okay, so this is a wild fishing game podcast. So we do have to talk. Or I do want to talk about some some recipes and or eating wild game. So I'll just ask what your favorite is or what your family's favorite is, and we don't have to get into specifics, but. I want to talk about it. So, Tony, what what is... I like chicken fried steak. Chicken fried steak? Yeah. I mean, a lot, a lot of people would use, like, a hind quarter, you know, like a, a round or a top round or a bottom. I use, like, back trap and cut them kind of fat and then pound them out and do, uh, like, dredge it in flour and then egg and then flour again. And you get, like, pan fry it in cast iron. And make the gravy out of the drippings and corn and mashed potatoes. It's like, it's awesome. Love that. That merganser that I got yeah. with you, Jeremy. I made country fried merganser. It was good. <laughs> country fried merganser. <laughs> Where were we from again? <laughs> country fried merganser. Country fried merganser. Jeremy? Um, honestly, I'm going to be honest with you. My family doesn't eat a lot of venison. Um, my wife doesn't like it. Trying to get my kids into it. Um, so a lot of my meat ends up going to buddies or friends or other people that will take it. I, I really like to uh, I like to get after them and I like to hunt them. But uh, I don't get to eat them a lot because it's just me that eats it. So, But I there was a recipe that I made. It was a roast. And I remember thinking, like, this is kind of weird putting this in here, but it had coffee in it. Oh, yeah? Yeah, and I gave the recipe to Wilson. Wilson has it, and he he still uses it to this day. But I made that, and that was it's like a crock pot. Kind yeah, of it was like kind of like a crock pot, like mm-hmm. roast, but it had coffee in it, and it was it actually turned like out really well. Brewed brewed coffee. Or, yeah, yeah, it wouldn't be the coffee grounds. Yeah, that no, it had yeah, it had brewed coffee in it. But that was probably one of the best uh, meals that I've had venison wise. But bringing up like. You know, venison meals, and that's one of the other advantages to late season is that you have a much higher chance of, like, being able to hang your deer. I mean, I don't have a walk-in cooler. I don't have... Oh, like, to age it a little yeah, bit Yeah, I mean, you can... Well, that one... Early the, season, you... I mean, early yeah, season, late. you better have your fridge cleared out and space in there if you're going to try to butcher it yourself. But, I mean, it might be an opportunity for a guy that's never tried to do his own butchering. Like, get out there in late season and you have... Yeah. <laughs> that first year where we hunted together, I got that dough and by the time i got it home and 
I hung it up in the shed and and then, you know, got the kids to bed and, you know, everything went back out to it. It was frozen solid. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it wasn't aging. Yeah. It wasn't aging. It was just frozen. Yeah. So. Probably hard to, was point, it hard to work with yeah. at that point? Yeah, it was hard to skin yeah. when it was. But that's better than the alternative, right? Yeah. I mean, if you shoot a deer in archery season or even a lot of times in rifle season around here now, I mean, the way it's, it's we've had warmer winters and you don't have as much time to, to deal with it. So. So Tyler, I know you, you're, you hunt a little bit. I used to. I used yeah. to anyway. So your your favorite or preferred wild game. So when we fish. got deer, we'd do three things with it. We'd we'd do we'd can it and we'd make bologna and we'd make jerky. Nice. And maybe some burger if there was some stuff left over. But we do like for burger we do like fifty fifty beef, deer. No, so it wasn't straight venison. 'Cause it it's kinda dry. It is a little bit yeah, dry. Yeah. yeah. So um, but my favorite way is to take the canned meat and make uh, like a stroganoff, like a stroganoff. Yeah, yeah. Nice. I've heard do some good things about canned noodles. deer meat. Yeah, do you, it's the do best. You ever canned deer my meat? mom, uh, we had a canning recipe, <clears throat> then my mom used to can it. Um, but I haven't done that recently. But it is it is yeah, excellent. You just, I mean, you just dump the can in and done it once. Yeah. Did you enjoy it? Yeah, because I mean, it it essentially just like. So it comes out like a pot roast. Yeah, it? right. It's, it's really soft. Yeah, you just and heat it up and tender. you throw some it's cream a lot of, in there and you get stroganoff. It's, it's a lot of good. prep work. I mean, you gotta, you know, you're gonna do a lot of processing to get it nice yeah, little cubes and get all the chunk get it as much fat and you know, yeah. it's. Uh, yeah. But you don't put you don't put liquid in it. I think I put like a couple slices of uh, garlic. Yeah, we had garlic like, and, and canning salt. And the one recipe we had, like French onion soup mix, was in there. It was really good. In your yeah. canning, in the canning recipe. In the canning recipe, yep. Yeah. So, Jeremy, it sounds like you need to come up with, like, uh, one serving meals so yeah. that you could quickly make. Something, yeah, that I could make and I could eat. I mean, and I could eat leftovers for, you know, at lunch at school or whatever. But, yeah, like, with Lacey not eating it, it's kind of like. I'm, I'm surprised because she ate that squirrel that I made. And I'm you talking now makes she me might have just been nice. it's a mindset for her you know she has yeah. it in her mind that she doesn't want to eat like wild game and and i think she's had some bad experiences in the past you know not from me but from other people cooking her wild game and i think that's kind of turned her off so i've never been able to kind of yeah i can see get her that. back into that i can see how well you see when she when you guys come over you know she just she gets real like Nope, not gonna. Uh, yeah. Nope. Yep. She's real. Did Did she try any of that stew that I she brought? She did not. No. She said she was going to, but what kind of stew did you make? She didn't. I I made venison broths last year, and they I didn't put enough pork fat in them, so they were dry. If you tried to grill them, so what I did was I sliced them and fried them in beef tallow in the cast iron skillet, put them in the crock pot with uh, cream of mushroom. Like three or four cups of shredded cheddar cheese, a half a jar of roasted red peppers, a chipotle pepper. What else did I put in there? A little bit spicy there. No, it wasn't too bad. Wasn't too bad. No, because the red peppers weren't spicy. Red peppers, they're just bell peppers. Oh, I think my only complaint was that it was thick. It was thick. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, um, yeah, when I was doing a little bit of research on that recipe, some people would add stock to it 
Yeah. But I didn't I didn't add that. Yeah. So I think you if could I were gonna do it again, I think I would add put a, just a little, little bit, bit of stock. Yeah. It sounds pretty good though. Bit. It was it, good. I was I was worried that the the sausage was still gonna be too dry, but I think it I think it worked out. It was out. fine. Yeah. Because I put all that in the crock pot and let that cook for you know six hours on low. And I think I put extra beef towel in there in there to give it some more fat, even though there's probably a lot of fat from the cheese and stuff, but I think it gave it enough moisture. Hey, what was those balls you guys made the one year with like the, the fat? Oh, with the, the, the call, call fat? fat. No, what were yeah. those called? They had a name. They were not good though. They I didn't. Did, I was there when no, you brought them. No, they didn't turn out good. Well, I I think I was there and I think I tried them. And yeah, man, they, they look good. way better than they. Yeah, they, looked, they good, looked good, but they, they did not that. taste good. Yeah, but I think there was like, wasn't there like heart or liver? In yeah, you said you put liver. You might have had a bad. It might have been a bad liver. Uh, I think we had it more than once. And my we? grandpa loves liver. Liver yeah. and heart. I thought we tried it more than once. No. I've cooked. I made boudin with the first year I got this year was a young. It was like a, a yearling. And I kept the liver and call fat out of that and made boudin. And it was, it was really good. Even Lindsay said she liked it. Yeah, right? Lindsay liked it a lot. That goose you made was pretty good. Oh, that's good goose. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, do you have any oh, more the pastrami? goose? Pastrami? The pastrami or just the straight up smoked goose? The straight up smoked goose. Do you have any more of that? I don't yeah, know if I had I, that. I, I went goose hunting this year. I have I have. Would you get like nine the, geese or something? I, well, the whole there was like six, 16 or 18 hunters, and we got close to 40 geese out of everybody, but I, I brought home nine. What's your favorite deer recipe, Corey? Well, I don't know. That's a good question. It depends on what mood. What mood I'm in? Don't souvé it. We know that. Yeah, the I was just talking with that, talking to or, Justin. Or do about it way that. less than however yeah. long you did it. Yeah, I did a 24 hour long sous vide, and it it came out mushy. It, it, the texture was like, awesome. I mean, it looked beautiful. It looked like a nice pink center, and you know, crusty charred outside. It was it was even flavorful. It just it, the, it, the, that the texture was horrible. Like, mushy. Not right. yeah. yeah, it was not good. I felt bad throwing it away, but I was like, I can't. Yeah. Eat it almost that. it reminded me of eating like deer that was turned into refried beans. <laughs> That's what it reminded yeah. me of. Ooh, that sounds terrible. Yeah, it was the texture was not good. That's a, another one I like. My mom makes is uh, she does like steaks, like round steaks. And she'll put them in with uh, like stewed tomatoes and mushrooms and like bake it garlic and oh that's a, that's a good way to make it nice i think the key with venison is the slow cook to get the you know, most tender if it's a not tender piece of meat right you know? yeah so yeah if you're not cooking back straps or yeah tender lines my, my grandfather would always get the smallest deer ever yeah like there'd be like no no oh no but, so i'm, I'm talking he's, he was like so he's just like cory hey <laughs> <laughs> i think it was he was in his 80s it's all right when you get five though you yeah know? You, uh, you get like 10 deer a year <laughs> bound to be some small ones next time yeah, right? by law That's averages Corey. yeah but yeah there'd be like 10 deer like, sitting still right and you'd be like no line up shoot one and it would be like the smallest deer ever it'd like be like a dog size like penny size <laughs> that's small it's, it's small he's gonna edit that out i'm sure oh yeah what's that absolutely my small deer joke no problem <laughs> yeah it's gone <laughs> <laughs> not even considered so uh 
at the end of the show, we like to do misfires, alibis, or last. This note. is the end already. Uh, we've been talking for. <laughs> <laughs> well, this just this segment here has been a half hour. Jeez, and right. that first one had to been longer. It's yeah. kind of fun. I, like it. I mean, if you want to keep going, I don't know how many people want to listen to us. Yeah, but. probably not. But <laughs> you never know. But I think I think I think we talked we talked a lot a lot of good information. We talked about a lot of good information for people that don't know about flintlocks and that want to get into it. So there's I think the a lot of good information. Yeah, I would say this would be good for somebody that's a beginner that wants to start and get into it. You know, obviously there's going to be people that you know want to take it to another level, and that's not us. You know, I feel like we're pretty much. I feel like that's where maybe we need to go. Yeah, you no, know, is maybe practice a little bit more and take what we have and go to another level, and like you said, go to the range and stuff and. Try and get better, but dial in those different loads. Know your equipment. Yeah, yeah, and just become more familiar. But so, at the end of the show, we like to do we call them misfires, alibis, or last notes. Just something that uh, you wanted to talk about, but you didn't get a chance to talk about. Um, a quick story, anything, and we'll just you know go around the room, Tony. Last thought, man. I don't know. I don't. I think I covered most of the things that I had uh, thought about in advance. Um, hmm. Tell us about um, your first deer with the flintlock. First deer with the flintlock. So my brother-in-law had uh, planted some food plots at a friend's Colin. property. Yep, Colin, and uh, he had. Uh, done quite a bit of hunting in there in archery season um and so he finally got a buck and he had a doe and so finally i got the scraps you know he said hey you can hunt my food plot now right so i went out with a bow equipment and i went out with my bow and uh, had these deer come in and it was like a like a 40 yard shot and i was pretty confident with my archery equipment and I drew back and had this doe lined up and like in the heat of the moment, I put my 50 yard pin on instead of my, my 40 yard pin and shot right over the back. So these deer run off the field, like come back in. Couldn't believe it. Like 15 minutes later, they start coming back in. They didn't know what happened. So drew back again. This time I'm like, all right, I got the 40 yard pin on there, but it's late season. We were talking about how deer are pretty skittish and uh, this doe jumped the string and I like, just scraped her back so i was like all right coming back here tomorrow night but no bow went out bought my flintlock license and came back with a flintlock next night your own flintlock or were you borrowing something? no it was my dad's um so i came back the next how night how old were you just uh, i don't know so i mean you had been adult if yeah you this was uh i don't know this was like 10 years ago i guess yeah. so i mean I, I used to hunt in uh in college, I hunted quite a bit with a group of guys that would drive like we do, but these guys would work second shift, and we would hunt. We'd have at least five guys or six guys. You know, on the weekends, we might have 15, and we'd hunt, you know, pretty much most days when we were off for college break. But, I mean, I missed way more deer than I care to admit before I knew to have a rest and, you know, a lot of things that we've talked about here. So I've missed lots and lots of deer with a flintlock. 
Um, but anyway, went back that next night and sat in the stand and it was like no deer came out. It was getting getting to be dark and like one deer comes out right at dark. And uh, it ended up being a, a shed buck that I shot. So that was my first deer with a flintlock. But yeah, I mean, it was, uh, I was that was the one I was telling you about. It came out like you know, last shooting light. Got the iron sights and... You know, that's what kind of made me go to the peep site and try to get better. And so, yep. Jeremy, your first deer with flintlock? First deer with a flintlock wasn't terribly long ago, to be honest with you. It was with uh, Kevin Wiltsey and Ernie. Um, oh, his dad. Hunting up at, uh, yeah, Kevin's dad hunting up at that property where we got in all those turkeys in the spring. Oh, okay. And we put on a drive. They put on like a, it was like a two-man drive. I don't even know why we were hunting together. I, I must have just called Kevin up and said, hey, you know, you want to go out and hunt or something. But I don't know why. It's an odd group for the, the three of us to be together. But um, they put me in a little <clears throat> little section of woods. And Kevin went down below. And Ernie, I don't know where he started. He started up the road. And they all came to me. And it wasn't. Oh, I don't know. They said that it was kind of a foolproof, foolproof drive that day. Like they knew, I mean, they had done that drive a, mu- a bunch of different times. And first group of deer came through, and I think I whiffed on the first, you know, deer came through, and I shot and missed, and I was all upset with myself. And, you know, like, ah, oh, I blew my opportunity. I, I reloaded pretty quick, but I was like pretty much like, this is over, this is done with. And then. About the time I said that, like I turned around and there's one standing right behind me, like came right through the field, standing right out in the middle of the field behind me. And I turned around and I shot and actually didn't make a great shot on it. I ended up hitting, hitting it in the neck. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, that was, I mean, that was the first, that was probably only five years ago, maybe or something like that. So I really haven't muzzled or hunted all that much. Um, Unfortunately, I, I for missed me, a few before <clears throat> that, but I don't think I ever yeah. killed a deer before. I think that was the first deer I killed with mudwater. I feel like, unfortunately for me, I mean, it's it's been a season where I've had. I mean, I've been really fortunate. The deer that I've hit with a bow and with a rifle, I've killed. Like I haven't lost many deer, but with a, unfortunately, with like I don't know if it's round balls, and I've just I've had some. I think I wounded two deer with a muzzleloader before I killed the one that I got and then just had that recent experience with my son where he hit one and we didn't get it. So it's been, uh, it, that's the, I guess for me is a little bit of the bad part about maybe with the flintlock and the round ball. I feel like and I had that one that, uh, went out on the island shot together. Yeah. That one went yeah. a long that, ways. Those are the, the I missed we, pretty much the whole day of hunting that day. Yeah, tracking that tracking one. On you guys yeah, all yeah, kept a, doing drives and I, I just kept tracking and tracking and tracking. Crazy story. So you that you've gotten two with the flintlock, and that's I think that's it. I think it's those two. Here I thought you guys were stacking them up, yeah. and it was me that wasn't getting anything. No, I'm shot three. You so, shot three, and yeah. the, the last two have been. You got one a couple years ago on our drive. Yep. And then I remember like a year or two. Yeah, before I got one that solo. One yeah, behind the yep. house. Yep, behind the house. Right. Yep. Which that's that's one of the best. That's one of the things I like about flintlock hunting, though. Too is like. I don't know, with a rifle, a lot of times they just drop, right? I mean, I don't know. I've had a lot of times where that happens. or And with a bow, you can see the hit, right? Like, you generally, you can you know whether you killed that deer or not. With a flintlock, you know, you got a cloud of smoke, smoke that goes yeah. up. And it's like, 
that first one I killed, I remember it was like dusky. I was in a tree stand. I shot. It was dark. A deer spun and ran back, but I had no idea that I, if I hit it or not. And I went down, and I remember actually like I saw where the ball was rolling through the snow. Like I could see the where like the trace of the ball. I'm thinking, okay, I must have missed it, right? And I, I fall. Like yeah, that's a good thing to point out is that you really got to. You really got to check the track. I mean, because you had that happen too, right? Yeah, that that first one he killed. Yep. And so I I mean, I tracked this deer maybe like thirty yards before I even got a drop of blood, Um, and it was just little drops, little drops, and then it started being like like strings of blood, which I've never seen before with like rifles or bows. It's usually spraying, right? I mean, um, but yeah, I mean, I like. You know, and then so then you're like, okay, I hit it, you know, and you, just the excitement of uh, not knowing. You know, and then you finally you find that deer piled up. It's it's pretty exciting. So, but yeah, I mean, then the other ones that I've killed have been similar. You know, it's like you don't you don't know until you you start tracking them. So that's what snow helps yeah, a lot. Yeah. So, Tyler, I'm. I don't think you've gotten one with a flintlock before. Nope. Zero. Do you, do you want to talk? And you got about, one with a rifle. Yeah. yeah. Do, do you want to tell us about your first time, first one with the rifle? Yeah, I'm trying to remember. I think it was my second year hunting. So you you were like twelve, thir- thirteen, thirteen, fourteen, thirteen to fourteen, and uh, I was by myself in the deer stand, and this little eight point comes down through. And, like, you know, back then I was, like, so excited. I could barely get it into my scope. And then it stops, and it stops behind this big oak tree. And I can only see, like, its tail and, like, the tip of its nose. So I'm sitting there waiting for the stupid deer to, to move. And it finally got out just enough that I could get a shot. And I got that deer. That was pretty cool. It was, like, a little tiny eight-point, like, maybe. Who were you hunting with? Were you hunting with your grandfather? Or? Yeah. Yeah. He was he was uh, in a different stand, a little ways away. I think so. I think it was like an eight inch spread. It was like super tiny, but it was an eight point. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Oh, yeah, it's a trophy. Yeah. That's what's yeah. that's what's awesome about the late season too. Is like again, like any deer is a trophy in my opinion. I mean, it's it could be the smallest little doe. I mean, but yeah, that was cool. Permanent equipment, but yeah, I mean, it's all about. Like, I think all, all the deer I've got though has been been less than fifty yards. So you'd be perfect. I'd be loader. perfect for muzzleloader. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. So the the first one I got with flintlock was on our yearly drive, the first year that I went, and it was actually my third shot of the day. The first that was shot, your first muzzleloader deer. Yeah, oh, I didn't realize that. the The first shot of that day was at a coyote, and I missed. And the second shot was on that same drive that I got the deer. It was just like five minutes before. Like this deer came and like what you're saying, they're coming, you know, they're, they're moving and I'm like, I got to shoot now. So I shoot and I miss and then they just come closer and stand there and there's nothing I can do. And so, you know, I try to reload and they run away and I get reloaded and another one comes through and they're, they're further away and I, I shoot at that one and smoke in front of my face. So you, you know. Did I hit it? I don't know. They're gone. I don't know which way they went because the smoke, <laughs> yeah. you know. So I hurry up 
and, and load again. And this another deer comes in 50 yards away and stops broadside in front of my face, but I'm in the process of reloading. So even if I wanted to shoot, I couldn't shoot. And then it runs. And then you guys come through as drivers. And uh, Jason know. saw that deer bedded down. He says, hey, there's a deer bedded down, you know, and he saw it and I, was I, like, I, oh, yeah. yeah. So we started stalking up on it. And yeah, I was up, up on the hill. I was like, yeah, he was yeah. like right in that area where I shot. And, and I, then all of a sudden I see you and Jason hunker down and start sneaking. And I'm like, what's going on? And then I hear kapow. And I'm like, I mean, it was, it was on its, you know, last leg. I mean, it was just a mercy yeah. situation. I mean, yeah. it was, it was done for, I mean, I point blank. I, I still like for the longest time, I was like, they just shot a random one and said it was mine. Cause I didn't want to have to clean <laughs> a deer, drag a deer out. Not that nice. Corey. <laughs> but then my second one. So I've never made the greatest shot on a deer. The second, um, deer I ever got I think it was the next year and I was hunting out of my rifle stand on, on the hunting lease and um, like this one came through and my gun went to go off and like half hour later these somebody must have walked through the woods and they pushed these eight deer in front of me and I picked out one and the, like they stopped for a second I picked out one I shot I hit it right in the ass end but she fell over right there and and then I shot her again, and so none of my shots have been the greatest, but they worked. Worked, yeah. But I missed last year. I missed two on our drive, and it was yeah, just yeah, you did, didn't you? Yeah, but might be a driver next year. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you bring up a good point. So and it goes back to having a rest when you shoot i think yep. that that first one on that day it was it was that, close that smallest tip i mean is like really helped me a lot is having a rest i mean if you're not sitting in a tree stand that has a rest or where you can rest on your knee like yeah. if you can grab a tree or sapling or i always do that even in rifle season yeah, yeah. you know yeah. what i mean like it's yep. particularly important with muzzleloader but even yeah. with rifle, rifle yeah i don't like shooting off handy it's with a no. rifle i feel like carrying around a shooting stick is a bit of a pain it is you know but it's but if you're a stander and you're doing drives right i mean it's not that that much not that big of a deal and then if you're going quiet you're trying to put mine in my my fits right in my backpack collapse them down and yep no it's nice i think that's a key key tip for the flintlock hunter that's not a guy that shoots flintlocks all the time right well um think we're going to wrap up just want to thank everybody for listening um we're going to put the show notes online so links to all the the tool different tools we were talking about and uh, the other information and and the different guns will uh i'll put links in the show notes um like always uh head over to our uh, social media pages instagram facebook we uh, just started a Facebook community group for fans of the show. So um, check that out. Uh, you'll have insider information, um, kind of a behind-the-scenes look. You'll We're going to do a question-and-answer podcast, and you can post your questions in there, that, and we'll talk about them on the podcast. So check that out. If you haven't already, like uh, and subscribe to the podcast, and make sure you hit that five-star review tell us what we're doing wrong tell us what we're doing right all right thanks for having us yeah thanks for listening yeah, to yeah. Fun. 
thanks for coming on and uh, we'll talk to you guys soon you're listening to the waypoint podcast network brought to you in part by hunt stand the number one hunting and land management app